Uh, we find ourselves in the fourth week of our series, The Fugitive. The story of Jonah, a prophet from God, a man of God who is called to go to a place called Nineveh. And uh, Jonah doesn't like this command that God gives. And uh, as we learned in the, over the last couple of weeks, that God uh, tells Jonah to go to uh, what is now modern-day Iraq to preach to the enemies of God. And Jonah says, no way, Jose, I ain't going to do it. I'm going to head the other direction. And he makes his way where uh, most scholars believe is towards Spain. Instead of heading to the east, to Nineveh, uh, God, uh, that, where God commanded him to go, he heads uh, to the west and uh, he thinks he's gotten away from God. In fact, he wants to flee from the presence of God in chapter 1. And as we learned a couple weeks ago as well, he gets on a ship in the port city of Joppa, heading out west and down the Mediterranean Sea with some sailors on a ship. They come across a great storm. They learn that the storm is caused because of Jonah. And uh, they are given a... Uh, uh, one decision to make, a very difficult one, to stop the storm. Jonah says, you've got to throw me overboard. And uh, Jonah is then thrown overboard, and that's where we find ourselves in our text today. And we'll be starting uh, to look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and then get into chapter 2. When we get into chapter 2, we see a couple things uh, transpire. First of all, we see a change in the tone of uh, the story that is being told. We have been working in chapter 1 looking at a narrative. Jonah is telling a story, just as very much like you and I would tell a story. Here's the information you need to know. This is what happened. This is who was involved and when it took place. But in Jonah chapter 2, the story goes from being a narrative per se, and it begins to look more like a psalm that you would find in the book of Psalms. He is spending time praying uh, and asking God to help him in his time of stress. So there's a change in the literary form, but there's also a change in the spirit of Jonah. Jonah is going to come to a place where he is at rock bottom. He is uh, finding himself in a situation that is impossible to fix. And that's what we want to look at this morning because in this chapter of Jonah, we see a prophet, a man after God who finds himself in total desperation, in a place where nothing is going his way. And I know there's no question today that there are some here today who feel like Jonah has, who feel like there is no hope, that there's no way of getting out of the situations that you find yourself facing today. But I want you to take heart this morning. For whatever reason you find yourself in those circumstances, we have a message from the Lord that I believe will bless your heart as we look at our text this morning. So without any further ado, let us stand as we read from God's Word, starting in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and then we will go through the rest of chapter 2. This is what it says. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, I sing with a voice of thanksgiving and with sacrifice and will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then in verse 10 it says, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Father God, we come uh, to the next installment of this incredible story of a runaway prophet, of one who had heard your voice and had gone the other way. Lord, what a reminder that is for us. 
Though we've seen your goodness and we've experienced your mercy, though we have seen what your word has commanded for us to do, instead of doing that so many times, Lord, we're so quick to go the opposite direction, to follow our own desires and passions, to follow our own pursuits instead of following you, Christ. And Lord, if there are many that have experienced it as I have, so many times we find ourselves hitting a brick wall. We find ourselves at rock bottom. And Lord, just like Jonah, we find ourselves in a place that no amount of human effort can change it. But only you. You are our only answer in these times of desperation. So Lord, open our hearts and mind. Be with those who even right now find themselves in that time of calamity and struggle. So that as a result of what we see from this incredible prayer given by a prophet, that we would learn and be able to glean great truths that would allow us to live an upright and holy life amidst great times of struggle. This is our prayer. This is our hope that we may be different uh, from where we came in this morning. That we'll be able to do more for your glory in your name. In Christ Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. There's an old adage that says that there are no atheists in a foxhole. It's amazing every time that you uh, hear eyewitness reports of a plane uh, that finds itself dealing with a uh, emergency situation, many will ask the question, well, what went on during the last moments of, of the flight? And you'll hear people were crying out to their God. There's no doubt that if you have been in situations like me, where you find yourself in an incredibly difficult situation that maybe you're not much of a prayer warrior, maybe you haven't prayed for a long time, but boy, the prayers just begin to roll off your tongue because you find yourself in a situation that is so difficult, so hopeless, that only God in a miracle would be able to fix it. We find ourselves in these times, these times we call times of great desperation. As I was working with the other preachers on this series this week, uh, Travis from Aurora came up with this title and I liked it. I told him I would take it and uh, not give him credit for it and I didn't do either. So he said uh, he liked the title, Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. I like that. I liked mine better in case of emergency break last. But I'll let you be the uh, judge of that. But there's this idea that in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah finds himself in a desperate place. In Jonah chapter 2, if you write in your Bible, and that's okay to do, just don't change the words if you will, but you can write in your Bible, and, and if you want some, this is an intense moment. Think about it. Jonah uh, finds himself uh, with some sailors he doesn't know on a ship. After a course of events, he says to them, and I'm wondering if he can even believe that he's saying it, throw me over into this wild sea. And they do that. He finds himself drowning. And then he finds himself, and we don't know exactly if, if he knew exactly what was going on or not. But the text tells us he's swallowed by a great fish. And he's in that fish three days and three nights. That seems like a pretty impossible situation. Now, if anyone has been in that situation before, I'm going to close my Bible and bring you forward to testify about it. But I'm going to think that no one has. Probably Jonah's the only one that's experienced this kind of time of desperation. And so we've probably not sensed the, the, the feeling of being inside an animal, inside a, a large fish. But there's no question we've been in times of great desperation the dictionary tells us that desperation is the state where all hope is lost or absent. Have you been there at some point in your life where you've thrown up your hands and said there is no hope? We will never get out of this. I've been on some catering events where I've just gotten done so fed up with what's going on. I say this job's never going to get put together right and, and I give up hope. And, uh, and yet, uh, a bad day on the job is not desperation. Uh, a bad day with the kids is not desperation. Again, the dictionary says a state where all hope is lost or absent. This is what Jonah's feeling. He's lost all hope. He's lost all sense that there is a tomorrow. 
Some of you are feeling that way in light of your marriage, in light of of the, the situation that you find yourself in with your family, with your children. Some of you find yourself there financially. Some even find themselves there spiritually. And here it is an example of a prophet of God who is going against the word of the Lord. And he finds himself in a place of desperation. Well, what are we to do in those times? What are we uh, to have as a response when those times of desperation come? What are we uh, to do? What is God required of us? Well, Jonah shows us a sneak preview of what we should do when those times of desperation come. Now, before we even get into the outline this morning, there are two things that I want to make clear to you. As we look at these times of desperation, we ask the question, why are these things happening? If you're like me, that's one of the first questions I ask. I look up to the heavens and say, why, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why didn't it happen to the other guy? Why isn't it happening to someone else? Well, we're told not to ask those types of questions, but to try to understand why trials and and times of desperation come. And there are two reasons that desperate times come. The first one is, write this somewhere on, on the front of your outline, and they come as a result of trials. They come as a result of trials. There are two scriptures that I want to bring to your attention. Of course, James 1, chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but let me just share this with you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says, you're going to experience trials. Jesus, in fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm sure you've learned that. We have trouble all the time. It seems that there's trouble going on in our lives and in our world. And it's, it's an adage that we've learned from scripture that man is born to trouble. That the moment we uh, come into this world, trouble is an issue that we are going to have to face. And so there are some of us who find ourselves like the second passage of Scripture, which is Job chapter 1. Job has a time of great desperation. A man who was upright before the Lord, who served God. And yet, in Job 1, he loses almost everything he has because of trials. Not because of something he had done, not because of the consequences of bad decisions, but just because the world is full of trouble. And God allowed, for according to his sovereign plan, that he would allow a certain trial or a certain set of trials to affect his child. But that's not Jonah's problem. You see, Jonah finds himself in a time of desperation, not because of trials, but because he's in trouble. Write that down. Not just because of trials, but because he's in trouble. Remember, Jonah is running away from God. He's running away from God and he finds himself, if you will, hitting the proverbial brick wall. And he may have asked, why is this happening? And I wonder if the whale said to him, because you've made a bad mistake. Not an accidental mistake, but a willful decision to go against the God of the universe. You see... There are two types of uh, reaping that can happen. Number one, we can reap good things when we follow God, or we can reap uh, bad things, times of great difficulty, when we choose to not follow God. Now, there are some that are in either of those camps this morning. Number one, today you may find yourself in a place of great desperation And it's not because you've done something wrong, but it's because you live in this world and we are born to trouble. But there are some who are in this situation, who find themselves in times of great desperation because you've made decisions that carry heavy consequences. You've made decisions that have made your heart sink. You've made decisions and and have done things just as Jonah did that maybe haven't affected you in day one and two, but sometime down a year or two later, they have found themselves in a harvest of pain and suffering. This is the reason why Jonah finds himself desperate. But what are we to do? 
What are we to know about it? Well, the first thing I want you to see in the outline this morning is that in times of great desperation, we may suffer great pain. We may suffer great pain. The reason why we lose all sense of hope is because these times are incredibly painful. They are difficult times. One commentator put it this way about Jonah. He said, when Jonah was put into the water and subsequently swallowed by the great fish, God put Jonah into a corner. He backed him into a corner. The idea here is God was pursuing his child and said, all right, enough is enough. I'm going to show you the air of following your decisions instead of following me. And some may feel that this morning as if God has backed you into a corner saying, hey, it's time to stop living for yourself and start living for me. But so many times we don't realize that. So many times we don't realize that we are pursuing other things than God. I'm sure Jonah was well aware of this. But he finds himself in the middle of a great trial and great difficulty. And before he would turn to God, before he would say, all right, God, you were right. I was wrong. God says, hey, you're not getting it. So I'm going to put you through the God ringer. I'm going to put you through and work you over a little bit so you recognize the error of your ways. And so that's what he does. He throws him into a sea. The guy almost drowns, and then he finds himself in a fish. Well, what would this do to a man like Jonah? What would these times of desperations do to us? Well, we see that this pain involves some things. First of all, it involves um, the area of our physical lives. It hurts physically. When we find ourselves in great times of desperation, we will find ourselves many times physically struggling with the issue. Notice what the text tells us in verse 2. It says, uh, in my distress, I called to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Now we are told by commentators that when this prayer is given, Jonah's in the fish. And Jonah is in the last part of his prison sentence of three days and three nights. So he's been in this unknown, dark place for about three days and three nights. And somewhere at the end of that time, he cries out to God. And the first thing that he cries out that is recorded is he says, I'm distressed. This word carries great intensity. Other translations use the word affliction. Distress and affliction speak. They, they, they come from a sense of, I'm in trouble. But where was he in trouble uh, in his life? Well, first of all, physically. Jonah was just uh, found himself almost drowning. He finds himself in a physically impossible situation. There are some here this morning who are carrying physical weights and, and struggles. Again, maybe because of no undue sin of your own, but some find themselves physically hurting because of the sins that they've committed. You know, for a long time in the catering business, I used to cut my own meat. And uh, we'd have this big band saw, and, and I would uh, cut uh, time in and time out. Well, this last week I uh, celebrated, I think it's my 14th year of, of my first lesson on the band saw. See, I'd been cutting for a couple of years, cutting the pork chops. And I remember one afternoon, it was in fact this last Thursday, uh, so many years back, I was cutting pork chops. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is just so boring. You know, this is just, you just keep cutting and cutting and cutting. And I remember telling my dad, you know, I'm getting good at this. This is getting easy. This, is, this isn't very complicated. Dad, you cut too slow. I cut a lot faster. And you need to get moving. Well, I learned a valuable lesson. And that is to make sure your hand doesn't get as close to the blade as it should. And I remember, and I can look down at my finger right now, and I can see the scar of a prideful mistake. You see, what happened was on cut 594 of that day, and I'm not making that number up, I remember that number because that one taught me a lesson. I almost lost my index finger. And the reason why was because instead of respecting and honoring something that I had been asked to do, to work through, I'd made light of it. 
And I'd made a decision I was going to do it my way instead of the way that my dad had taught me to do it. You know, Jonah found himself physically hurting because he made a willful decision not to listen to the Creator, his teacher, and saying, God says, this is what I want you to do. And he says, you know, just like I did with that meat cutting, I can do it my way. Your way is not the right way. For whatever reason, it's too slow or it doesn't make sense, God. I'm going to do it my way. And Jonah finds himself in a physical situation where he is in utter distress. Some of you, because of your sin this morning, find yourself physically hurting, physically in a place where you do not want to be because you've made a decision to follow after your own desires instead of following after God. But notice what goes on. Not only is he physically in a place of great calamity, but he sees it emotionally as well. Look at verse 6. It says, To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. Now notice for a moment, in light of Jonah's situation, he had hit rock bottom. I've been at rock bottom, I think, only once in my life where I have really felt that life was out of control, that I had lost hope. And I remember what that did for me emotionally. I remember for six months to almost a year, I found myself living with zero joy, zero hope for tomorrow. Everything when I looked at it, the glass glass was quarter empty, not half empty. It wasn't even that good. And I found myself emotionally spent. Here's a man who ran after God and he finds himself and he knows the reason why I'm here is because I've run away from God. What that must have done to his emotions. Where must he have been at? If I was in his situation, I would be emotionally a wreck. And I think that's where Jonah finds himself. He says, I am barred in forever. That's where he loses his hope. He's sitting, this is it. This is the end. This is what I've made of my life. I've got nothing to look forward to. Desperation does that, doesn't it? It steals our joy and our hope for tomorrow. No matter what we think that we uh, have got going for us, we look around and the situation looks so impossible that we give up hope. And that's what I, I think Jonah does. Even though he gives a cry of of hope, maybe hoping that God may turn his ear to Jonah, I think Jonah's given up hope. I think at this point he feels the end is coming soon. He doesn't know how it will happen, but he's emotionally given up. The next thing I see is the spiritual aspect of it, that this pain affects us spiritually. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, I said I have been banished from your sight banished from the sight of God. Now, I wonder if Jonah understood the irony of that. Remember in Jonah chapter 1, the whole focus that Jonah has is to do what? To flee the presence of the Lord. And he does it. He gets away from God. And how does he feel? Terrible. He hates the circumstances that he finds himself in. And so what he wanted to accomplish for a whole chapter of his story, he accomplishes, and yet he does not like where he's at. A couple of weeks ago, my boys were, were out riding their bikes, and jo- Joshua, our three-year-old, is just learning how to ride a bike with training wheels. And I'm telling him how to ride the bike so that he does not hurt himself. And you know what a three-year-old says, uh-huh, dad, uh-huh, yeah, 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 uh-huh, dad, I got it, uh-huh. I said, did you hear me? Uh Uh-huh. And he didn't hear a word I said. And I said, you want to be careful here because if you don't listen to me, you're going to hurt yourself. No, dad, I know what I'm doing. Okay. As if he's been riding the bike for years and not two days. He goes on the sidewalk and rides the bike. I tell him to stay away because our neighbor cuts the edges away from the sidewalk and that, and it, it creates a little area. And I said, stay away from that. Okay. Well, he doesn't do it. And I'm inside. And the next thing I hear is this just blood curdling scream and i know what happened the yahoo 
went and rid, rode his bike into that little gully of an area between the sidewalk and the grass, and he crashed. I told him he was going to do that. I pointed out where it was going to happen. And he didn't get it. He goes and does what he wants. And he finds himself in the situation that he's in. Jonah does that. Jonah says, you know what, God, I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I'm going to go do it my way. And his way is, is I want to get as far away from you, God, as possible. And he accomplishes it. And you know what his response is? What happened? Why did this thing come around me? What, what is the reason and the, and the situation that I find myself in? Why is it, God, you're so far away? Well, Jonah, because you've run away from him. He's echoing the words of Psalm 22.1, whether he knew that or not. And the idea is, is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The latter part of the verse talks about that you are far from me. There are so many of us today who make a decision to do something. And God says, but if you do that, you're not going to be happy. Just as I did with Joshua. Joshua, if you do that, it's going to bring harm. It's going to bring hurt into your life. And that's what God is saying to us. That's what this word says. It says, if you live for me, there's blessing. There's great joy and hope. But you live for yourself. You're going to find yourself in times of great calamity. So don't do those things. And yet we make a decision. And then when we find ourselves in the times of great desperation, we lift up our hands and say, God, why are you so far away from me as if God moved? God hasn't moved. God's there all the time. It is us who find ourselves moving away from God. And we don't like it. Because when we find ourselves apart from God is when we find ourselves most vulnerable and ready for an attack. This affects Jonah in every way. And what does Jonah do? In his time of great affliction, Jonah has one of two uh, choices that he can make. Choice number one, he can stop and yell, Uncle, I get it. I understand I should have never turned my own way. I should have never made the decisions that I did. I'm done. I've got it. You and me, God, we're like this. Mono y mano, we're good. We're happy. I'll do whatever you want, God, and move forward. The second decision he could have made is he could have said, you know what, God? See, this is why I don't like you. This is why you're no good, God. And I'm going to continue to do my own thing. There are individuals who choose both of those circumstances. Some of us today are wondering why the times of great desperation are coming. And maybe you have not verbalized it with your mouth, but you have said to God, you know what, God, this is exactly why I will not follow you. Because you do not help me in my time of need. And God is sitting there saying, hey, wait a minute. All you have to do is bow the knee to me. All you have to do is follow my command and I will listen to you and I will help you in your time of struggle. Jonah makes the right decision. Now there's a lot of question by commentators of was Jonah truly repentant? Did he make a truly good decision? Or was it more out of duty? We don't know. No one can judge the heart of a man but God himself. We do see that God hears Jonah. We see that God answers Jonah. And so we are led to the understanding that there's a good chance that Jonah meant what he said. But just like you and I, just because we start out good doesn't mean we finish up well. The reason why commentators wonder if he was repentant or not is because Jonah goes back to his old ways in Jonah chapter 4. Belly aching, hating the Ninevites, not wanting to follow the ways of God. But we can't go that far ahead without adding to the story. So we sit with Jonah in his time of desperation. And I want to tell you, I believe that Jonah makes a right decision. And I think he tries his best in a time of great desperation to do something well. And he does. And and this is where in making the right decision we see point number two. And that is in our times of great desperation, we often see God's promises fulfilled. We often see God's promises fulfilled. When Jonah makes the right decision, in fact, when you and I make the right decision to get out of our rebellion, to stop living for self and follow God, then we begin to see God's promises become fulfilled. Now let me just add as I'm thinking about that, I would say that in both circumstances you see God's promises fulfilled. You want to live for self? 
And God says, I will deal with you. That's a promise. God says, your life won't go well with you. That's a promise. But those aren't the promises that I like. Someone has said that there are more than 7,000 promises, good promises found in Scripture. Those are the ones I want to be a part of. Those are the ones I want to see become a reality in my life. So what's the promise that Jonah is able to see when he makes a right decision? The first one is, is that he learns and sees a prophet, a promise be fulfilled. And that is that God accepts our prayers. That in times of great struggle, we see that Jonah's prayer is accepted. What do I mean by that? Accepted. Look at what it says in verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord. What did he do? He prayed. That's what he did. When all hope was lost, after running away from God, he makes the decision, I'm going to pray. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. Now, I wonder if if Tim was God, and, and I'm not, but let's just for a moment assume that I am. What might my response have been? I'm sitting up in heaven on my celestial throne and Jonah, this deadbeat who's running away from me, finds himself because he won't listen to me. I have to involve myself in his circumstances and I put him inside a fish and now he wants to talk to me. You know, there's an old adage in the city, talk to the hand. Don't talk to me. I wonder if God was saying, are you talking to me? Is that you, Jonah? You want to talk to me now after all that you've done? Are you kidding me? You've been running away from me. And now you find yourself in a little pain and in a fish and you think your world's falling apart. Well, boo-hoo. That would be my translation. Get over it and die. Nice knowing you. But that's not what God does, does he? He accepts Jonah's prayer. He receives it. I think this is important. Psalm 65, let me uh, just give you some passages of Scripture that remind us of this promise in our times of great struggle, even when we're not walking with God, that God will hear our prayer. Psalm 65, 1 and 2, write this passage down. It says, uh, it says this in Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer... To all, to you, all men will come. God is a God who hears prayers. Isaiah 65, uh, 24, write that passage down. Isaiah 65, 24 says this. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Isaiah says, hey, even before the words come out of our mouth, God is hearing us. Even before we speak, God is listening to what we have said. In the New Testament, we see a couple passages that are important. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 12. Let's see here. Verses, I'm sorry, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. There's not a caveat when things are going well or when you've lived an upright and holy life. What it says is if we ask anything according to his will, if it's in line with what he has asked of us, he will hear us. In fact, uh, there's one more passage. First uh, Peter, first Peter chapter three, verse 12 says this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are are attentive to their prayer. Do you find yourself this morning in a place of great struggle or calamity? Then go to God. Go to prayer. I'm always amazed when I'm sitting with uh, a group of people where there are a couple moms in the room. And uh, the, the children are in another room. And no matter what's going on, no matter how involved their discussion is, they hear a cry from the other room. And the guys just keep talking. Well, yeah, do you see what the Cubs did? Yeah, they picked up a new reliever, and that's great. And kids are screaming their heads off. But the moms stop. And what the moms are listening for is what? Is that my child? 
and they know by the cry. I don't, I haven't gotten that down yet. I hear crying, it all sounds the same. It sounds like they're asking for mom. And I say, okay, they're asking for mom. (laughs) But moms have a way, and maybe dads that are more caught up with their feminine side, I don't know, I just don't have that gene. But, But moms seem to have a way of listening for their child's cry. And they know what that cry sounds like. Let me tell you something. I believe God is like that. God hears and he knows and he says, hey, that's Tim. That's mine. And I always love it when the, when the mom says, that's mine. And the mom gets up and goes and takes care of the child. I think that's what God does. God knows our, our uh, voices. He knows our cries. And he says, I hear you. I hear you. What's wrong? And he stops and he listens. But he doesn't just stop there and listen. What kind of mother, what kind of father would hear a child crying and just say, yeah, I hear you. Tough luck. But we see next, he doesn't just accept our prayers. He answers them. Notice what the text says. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And what? What does it say? Help me out. Okay, two of you got it. Let's get more of you. What does it say? He answered me. This guy who runs away from God gets his prayer answered. He goes and he has his own way. And then he, in his time of trouble, he finds himself crying out to God. And God doesn't just say, I hear you, tough luck. But what he says is, I will answer. This is huge. How can we sin and God still answer our prayer? I worked through that and tried to deal with that and tried to come up with a way to explain it. And then I was looking at a message that John Piper preached up in Minneapolis some years back. And I loved what he said. He said, God answers our prayers, not just Jonah's prayer, but our prayers in spite of ourselves sometimes. And there's a reason. He came up with seven reasons. I want to quickly go through these. I don't want to belabor it, but I want these to be written down for you. Number one, God answers our prayer in spite of our guilt. He answers our prayer in spite of our guilt. Jonah's guilty. Jonah didn't deserve for God to answer his prayer, and yet he does. Write this passage down. I won't take time to go to it. Psalm 107, verses 10 through 15. That even though we are sinners, God still answers our prayers number two he answers our prayers in spite of his judgment psalm 36 verses 13 through 15 in spite of his judgment psalm 36 13 through 15 here god is judging his child the reason for the storm the reason for the fish is god's judgment on jonah And what is God doing? God is saying, all right, I'm judging you. And then he cries out, Jonah does. And God says, all right, I will answer your prayer. He does it in spite of impossible circumstances. Job, uh, I'm sorry, Jonah 2, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank. He says, you brought me my, my life up from the pit. He had hit rock bottom. There was nothing that was going to fix his situation, and yet God answers Jonah's prayer. We see the next thing is, is that God answers prayer in the nick of time. Jonah 2.7. At the moment that Jonah is about to lose his life, God answers his prayer. Now understand this, God answers Jonah's prayer before Jonah ever prays it. The book of Romans tells us that many times we don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit of, uh, need to pray, that the Spirit of God groans for us in a language we don't even understand because we don't know how to pray. Jonah didn't know not only how to pray, but when to pray the right things. And yet God still answers his prayer, saves him from drowning, and puts him into a fish. The next thing we see is that uh, God answers prayer in stages, not always in comfortable ways. I wonder if Jonah might have gotten into the fish and said, I wanted you to save me, but not to put me in the belly of a fish. I don't like this. Get me out into the water. Where's the lifeguards from Baywatch? Where are they at? Why this? Why a fish? Why all the smells and all this uh, gastric acids? I don't like this. 
Sometimes God answers our prayers and we don't like it because it's, a, it's maybe a middle point in God's true redemption of the situation we find ourselves in. Jonah 2 tells us that. There's this idea of struggling with all of it. Next, number, uh, let's see here, number six. God answers our prayer in order to win our undivided loyalty and thanks. I want to read a passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 says this. Uh, I'm sorry, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says this. Indeed, in our hearts we have felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that we will continue, He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. When we uh, find ourselves in times of struggle and we cry out to God, and even though we don't deserve it, God answers our prayers, it is an opportunity for us to say, Wow, God, thank you. I'm going to tell others about it. You answered me when I didn't deserve it. You know, that's salvation. When we cry out for God to save us, we don't deserve it. There's nothing you deserve to be saved. There's nothing I deserve that I might be saved. But God saves us. He answers that prayer so that we may live loyal and thankful lives and tell others about it. Number seven, that we may be merciful. That we might learn mercy. Why was God answering Jonah's prayer when he didn't deserve it? Because God wanted to show Jonah that God was a merciful God. Why? Because God was going to save a wicked people called the Ninevites. And Jonah struggled with that. He hated that. He didn't like that. And yet what happens? He wants to be able to go back to Jonah and say, Hey, I saved you when you didn't deserve it. Why would you get mad when I saved the Ninevites and they don't deserve it? He's teaching mercy. Understand, God doesn't just answer our prayers to give us what we want. But He does it to accomplish His will in us. He wants to teach us. He wants to grow us. He wants to correct us. He wants to redirect us. God answers prayers, not because it's on your wish list, but because He wants to accomplish something. So what are we to do? In times of great uh, um, desperation, we must submit to God's plan. Let me close out with this thought. We need to submit. A decision needs to be made. We need to give ourselves over to God. We need to say, okay, God, I understand. I am to submit to you. That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah's crying out to God, and he's saying, okay, God, I get it. I yell, uncle, I'm done. And notice what he says in verses 7 through 9. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, for salvation comes from the Lord. I want to go backwards with this, the last part of the passage first. The first thing that we see when it involves submitting to God's plan is we need to understand that salvation is only something God can give. This plan that God has for us to submit to falls in line with the idea that salvation only comes from God. Now why? You would say, Tim, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it does to Jonah and it should to us. God says, all right, you're going to surrender. You're going to give up. You're going to stop running from me. Then you need to understand something. And I want you to hear this very clearly today. God is saying to Jonah, I will save who I want, when I want, how I want. Is there a person in your workplace or, or in your family or, or in your school where you say, God would never save them? That's what Jonah was thinking. And God is saying, hey, you need to understand, just as I saved you, just as I delivered you, I can deliver whoever I want to deliver. I don't have to get approval for it. I've been struggling uh, at, uh, at work with an issue, a political issue in the local town and uh, and it has to do with a couple of people that don't don't like me very much. I know it's hard to believe that people actually don't like me, but there are a few hundred million that do. But uh, but I've been struggling, and I ran into one of them. One that you know, one of those people that you just your blood begins to boil when you see them. 
and I'm sitting there and I, I was pleasant with the individual and tried to keep it as short as possible and and uh and I got done and and the Lord brought Jonah to my mind. Might they be the Ninevites in your life, Tim? I said, Lord, hey, I'm the preacher. I don't need to learn anything like that. <laughs> God's teaching me something. And he's teaching you as well. God will save who he wants. I love the passage in Romans 9, 9, 15 that says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You can sit there today and say, God, Jonah didn't deserve compassion. Well, if Jonah didn't deserve it, then you don't deserve it either. We can't just ask for a compassionate God to be compassionate to us in our sin and not be compassionate to others in their sin. God says, I will have mercy on them just as I've had mercy on you. So stop arguing me with it and just live out the Great Commission and do it not looking at whom you think should be saved, but whom God might want to be saved. The next thing we see is that it involves our surrender that leads to obedience. I think it's ironic. Jonah does exactly what the sailors do in chapter 1. Bad trial in your life. Come to the end of your rope. What you do is you make a decision. Make vows, sacrifice, pray to God, and hope for the best. Well, Jonah does that as well. But notice there are three very quick aspects to it, to this surrender. Write this down. It's very important. Number one, the surrender involved his affections. Now, we don't know what it may have meant in verse 8. But those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Did Jonah have idols in his life that he was clinging to? We don't know. We don't know why this verse is there. But it reminds us of something. You cannot experience the grace of God until your affections are completely on Him. If you think you're going to uh, be able to get out of times of great desperation with God's help and then go back to the way you used to be, you're going to find yourself going from the frying pan to the fire. You can't do it. Jonah says we can't live that way. Number two, it involves our affirmations. Notice what he says. He says, what I have vowed. He makes an affirmation. He says, here is what I'm going to do, God. This is not just God, him making a deal with God, but he's saying, Lord, I've said I'm going to do these things and I will do it. We need to make sure that not only do our affections change, but what we tell God that we will make that a reality number three is our actions he says not only am i going to talk a good game but notice what he says what i have vowed i will make good he makes a decision i wonder if he vowed that he would go and and preach to the ninevites that he would follow the way of god it seems that that would probably be the way that it would have gone but we as people if we want to be finding help in our times of great desperation. We can't just talk a good game. We can't just say we're going to uh, stop living the way we did before, but we need to put it into action. Jonah was living the wrong way. He makes a decision that he's no longer going to do it. This morning, what's causing your time of desperation? Are you at the end of your rope? Have you find yourself hitting rock bottom? Whatever the reason is for that desperation, it is time this morning for you to cry out to God. To cry out to God and tell Him how painful this situation is. And God hears your prayers and He will answer your prayers. But it's going to mean something. And that means that you need to surrender some things in your life. Have you given up those things? Maybe that got you into the circumstances you're in this morning? I want you to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I want to read you as we close out our service a song that I remember singing all the time. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have you trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? You should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care. 
precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Is there, I'm sorry, thou wilt find solace there. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, whether today we find ourselves in a time of great difficulty and pain, if there's a time or season in the past or one that's yet to come, we are reminded today that you are a God who can hear and does answer prayer. So Lord, I pray that in the quietness of our hearts, before we leave this place, that the things that are, that are on our hearts so heavy this morning, the things that are robbing us of our joy and our peace, whether by our own doing or the doing of others, Lord, uh, we would go to you and we would cry out to our God. Lord, the Psalms are full of passages of Scripture of men who were who found themselves feeling far away from you and cried out with great intensity that they wanted you to answer them. Lord, it's no different today. But Lord, let us recognize that it isn't just going and asking for you to fix things, but just as Jonah did, that we would surrender our wills to you. And if it means repenting, Lord, we would confess our sins, and yet you answer that because you are faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, if there's one out there this morning who has been living for their own lives and for themselves and find themselves at the end of the road, you say you will answer their prayer for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that would become a reality today for some here in this place. So Lord, take us from here and use us. Use what we've learned this morning that we would apply it that we would understand that even though these times are painful, you can use these times for great good. Oh, how you used it in the life of Jonah. You redirected him, you reshaped him, and you used him for your glory and fame. Father, use those times of great desperation in our life to grow us and to make us more like your son. Father, so that we can, just as Jonah did, go from those times of desperation to announce your praises and the greatness of who you are. So Lord, send us off from this place. Give us safety as we travel and go through the activities of our day that we would put you first and foremost in our lives. That we would be men and women of prayer, men and women who submit ourselves to your lordship for your glory and your grace. We thank you for this time and give it to you in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.